welcome to the Biomass Thermal Energy Council's podcast series. I'm Joe Seymour, BTEC Program Coordinator for Policy and Governmental Affairs. In our monthly podcast, BTEC interviews key decision makers and pioneers of the biomass energy industry. This project is made possible by a grant from the U.S. Forest Service's Wood Education and Resource Center. In our second broadcast, we discuss biomass energy and the role of the private landowner. According to a joint 2010 study from Oregon State University and the U.S. Forest Service, forests constitute about 33% of the U.S. landscape, which is split 56 to 44% private versus public. With a multitude of forest products like pulp, paper, and hardwood, and biomass fuels like chips, pellets, and briquettes, all derived from their properties, large landowners will play a continued and vital role in national economic activity and energy policy, including large landowners like Plum Creek. Plum Creek is the largest and most geographically diverse private landowner in the nation, with approximately 7 million acres of timberlands in major timber-producing regions of the United States and wood product manufacturing facilities in the Northwest, all for a total company footprint of 19 states. And with that, it's my pleasure to welcome Mike Jostrom and Steve Rowe of Plum Creek. Mike Jostrom is Plum Creek's Director of Renewable Resources out of Seattle, Washington, and has a company-wide role in finding opportunities to grow their business in providing renewable biomass for energy markets. Steve Robe is a senior resource forester in Maine with responsibility throughout the Northeast region in the marketing and production of biomass for energy markets. Welcome, Mike and Steve, and thank you for your time. Mike, in your own words, what is it that Plum Creek does? What are its products, and what's its mission? Well, Plum Creek owns and manages timberland. Uh, primarily to grow, to, to produce forestry products. Uh, we manage our timberlands following sustainable forestry practices, and we sell timber or logs to customers throughout the United States. Um, we try to, to capture the most value from our resource that we can by optimizing across products and by finding value where, where previous owners weren't able to find value. Mike, in your role as Director of Renewable Resources, you oversee Plum Creek's opportunities in the biomass energy markets. There is a growing national focus on developing renewable sources of energy, and the private market will play a role in meeting that demand. Is Plum Creek interested in the development of biomass energy markets, and why? Well, we're definitely interested in the development of diverse biomass markets. I think probably that traditional Forest products will be the mainstay of our business, continue to be. Um, but what energy markets for biomass will do, will it'll, it'll allow a couple of things. One, it'll, it'll allow us to utilize more of a tree when we do conduct a harvest. And secondly, it'll give us a chance to do some thinning and some other important forestry practices to you know, protect the health and vigor of our forests. Um, the other important thing about it is that it diversifies our product. As you know, many forest products are dependent on housing markets, which are very cyclical. So any energy markets will give us a more diverse portfolio of products. Thanks, Mike. And Steve, do you share a similar perspective? Sure. Uh, we promote the development of new markets. We view new markets for forestry products, including woody biomass for energy, as being positive for forestry, for Plum Creek, and for the environment. Large, varied markets are better in every way. Um, they promote better forestry, and they provide utilization opportunities that would not otherwise be available. As I noted earlier, 
Plum Creek has a footprint in 19 states. With a focus on supplying traditional forest products and meeting the evolving biomass markets, there can no doubt be conflicts with local communities. How does a large landowner with interests and in tracts and states across the U.S. manage conflicts and communicate with local communities? Well, there, there are several ways. One way is through strong and consistent community involvement. Plum Creek supports the communities where we live and work, and the Plum Creek Foundation supports organizations that improve the quality of life where the company operates. Our foresters are members of these local communities and, and participate in all sorts of community activities. Being the forester next door works out really well. It enhances communication and goes a long way toward managing conflicts. Another way is communicating directly with community and government leadership so that we can understand each other's outlook and work together towards solutions. Thanks, Steve. Now, when we're talking about timber harvesting, biomass energy, land use, etc., sustainability becomes part of the conversation. However, sustainability means many different things to different parties. What does sustainability mean to the private landowner, and what is Plum Creek's policy on forest sustainability? Mike, could you answer that first? Well, first of all, I'd say that in the U.S., private forest landowners have a long legacy of embracing sustainable management of their lands um, before we commonly use the word sustainable even. Um, in the last five decades, uh, our, we've consistently across all ownerships grown more timber than has been harvested and there's, there's something like 50% more inventory on forests now than there was 50 years ago. I think that landowners own forest lands for a multitude of reasons, including the other values that it provides, and so that provides additional motivation to manage sustainably. Plum Creek is committed to sustainability. We were the first timberland owner in, in the U.S. to have actually gone through the process of having our practices audited uh, across our ownership, across the entire ownership for uh, to, in order to be certified as sustainable, and we're certified under the Sustainable Forestry Initiative. Uh, and, and then I guess the last thing I'd mention is that it's important to know that forestry in the U.S. conforms to a framework of regulations and best pract practices that have been monitored for effectiveness. They have a strong track record, and so we're, we believe that renewable energy policy that addresses sustainability should recognize these existing practices that, that are already in place. And Steve, would you like to add? I would, thanks. Um, Third-party audited SFI certification is a major commitment, and it guides every activity performed on our land. It's a rigorous process, and we take it very seriously. Additionally, our customers value sustainability because of the large investment that they have in their facilities. Um, they, they need to know that there's going to be a sustainable supply of feedstock. They don't want to run out of wood. Steve, it's interesting that you mention SFI as BTEC has a future podcast with the Sustainable Forest Initiative. But switching gears, federal energy policy has put an emphasis on developing energy crops like short rotation trees, shrubs, and grasses. What is the outlook of Plum Creek and other landowners on converting their properties to energy crops and short rotation tree plantations? Why or why not? Well, in New England, we have no plans to convert property to energy crops. 
It, it just doesn't make economic sense. Mike, would you like to add? Well, I would say that there is a lot of uh, discussion. People are interested in exploring, um, but we still view traditional forest products as, as really the primary thing that we're growing for. The, they have higher values than energy markets are able to provide for energy fiber, uh, and therefore they will really be those higher-valued products are going to be what um, drives our decisions about what we plant and, and when we harvest. Tax credits have been offered for biomass power produced from dedicated energy crops for, for quite some time, and this hasn't really produced any markets in the forestry realm. That it, it hasn't really caused landowners to convert lands to energy crops. Now, uh, a new set of renewable energy policies may change that somewhat, but it seems most likely that these crops will do, be focused on agricultural land rather than forest land because that's where more intensive cultural practices are, are most efficient to implement. Mike, what are some examples of higher value products? Typically, we grow trees to produce logs, solid wood products. So, um, you know, the highest value products are are logs that we can sort out that have special value, such as bird's eye maple. They have a special character. But all solid wood products are generally more valuable, valuable than pulp wood, where, where the fiber is more what's of interest to paper companies. And then biomass comes in, you know, we, we would never, for example, be able to afford to use solid wood fiber to, to just provide to energy markets. Okay, so obviously there's an interplay of policy incentives and, as you mentioned, Steve, the matter of plain economics. The environment now doesn't support tree plantations, but let's say the biomass markets do develop. Will the biomass markets result in the conversion of natural forests to plantations? What other interests are involved in that decision? When we harvest timber, we make a decision to plant in order to uh, make sure that we keep our lands in forests and keep them productive. It's not necessarily a decision to convert to anything, but it's to maintain our forests as forests. And we expect to continue doing that. We don't expect biomass markets to increase the need for planting. Thanks, Mike. Now let's go further down that path of biomass energy demand and its accompanying feedstocks and fuels. Should healthy and stable biomass markets appear, is Plum Creek and the industry overall ready to meet the demand for fuels? What logistical concerns are there? What resources will be available more quickly than others? Steve, what's your take? Forest industry in general has a great track record of responding to new markets provided that they're healthy and stable. The supply chain will evolve and uh, logistical concerns will be minimized provided that there's a healthy and stable market. Our current biomass market which is mainly merchant plants and co-generators, utilize wood that's essentially a secondary product of timber harvesting. This wood isn't utilized in any other market, and it will continue to remain available as bioenergy feedstock. A really good example of the continuing availability of conventional biomass is the key finding of the 2008 Maine Forest Service Assessment of Sustainable Biomass Availability. The assessment indicated that with improvements in forest utilization and silviculture, 
Maine's forests are capable of producing more wood than they do currently. And doing that all the while maintaining or improving site fertility, wildlife populations, and biodiversity. Well, I guess I would just add to what Steve said that in Maine, we've been harvesting wood fiber for energy for for many years, and so the supply chains have developed. Um, the methodology has developed. In other parts of the country where we operate, it's new. We have existing infrastructure for our other products, but there's, uh, in some cases, more difficult terrain, and um, there's additional supply chain challenges that we're we're going to have to address as we go. So there there are some some challenges. Technology is another integral component when we're talking about responding to biomass energy demands and logistical concerns, especially regarding the scaling up of equipment and harvesting processes. What type of equipment advances are helping loggers, landowners, and biomass brokers get fuel to the market most efficiently? Are there any trends? Mike, then Steve? There are people, equipment manufacturers and landowners that are looking at things like um, specialized bundling equipment that's used in Europe. There's questions about where is the best place to grind or chip the material uh, and which is better, you know, whether grinding or chipping is better. And some of that's going to be answered by the buyers of the material, ultimately. And then there is a big question about um, moisture content. You know, how do we manage moisture content so that we're not hauling significant amounts of water in, in with the rest of the biomass? So transportation is, is a real large concern. How do we get a full weight load on a truck in order to make the maximum efficiency in our transportation? I think the development of uh, smaller, inexpensive harvesting and handling machinery would, would go a long way toward that. The, the product is, is low value, and the, uh, the way of producing it needs to be inexpensive as well. Steve and Mike, if I were a logger, I could see these equipment changes as expensive procurements in an energy industry with small profit margins. What are your insights into the future of harvesting equipment and the loggers who use them? I saw a great presentation last year this time or so, and he, he had a bunch of slides um, you know, showing the progression of some of the harvesting machinery, and it started mm -hmm. with small, inexpensive stuff, and it kept mm -hmm. getting more complicated and bigger yeah. and more expensive and bigger and more complicated, and then the, the next generation kind of goes back to that, that early stuff. That causes people to be gun-shy, too, when a whole industry, like in the early 90s, you know, in various parts of the country as a result of earlier renewable energy incentives, people went out and bought chippers. Sometimes landowners encouraged that. Mm. Um, they used them for a year or two, and then all of a sudden the incentives went away, and the chippers just sat and became rusty. And so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so that becomes a real challenge now. You know, how aggressively do you go and invest in new equipment when you're not completely um, confident about where the where the business is, the new industry is going to go. Mike, speaking of the biomass energy industry's direction, 2009-2010 saw an increased interest at the federal level on developing renewable energy policies and addressing environmental regulations too. 
Issues that come to mind are the Biomass Crop Assistance Program, or BCAP, definition of biomass, categorizing biomass emissions, carbon neutrality, a renewable electric and thermal standard, etc. Now while BTEC has its own set of policy priorities that focus on the efficient use of biomass for thermal applications, I'm interested in the current policy challenges for large landowners like Plum Creek. Mike? Well, when we look at renewable energy policy, we really look for three things. Um, first of all, we look for a simple and consistent definition of renewable biomass. This is important to make sure that, that this industry is allowed to grow, that it doesn't become so complex to determine what qualifies and what doesn't qualify, that it becomes a, a hindrance to the development of the industry. Um, secondly, we recognize the legitimate concern for ensuring sustainability, uh, but policy must recognize the effective forestry best practices that are already in place throughout the U.S. And third, it's extremely important that policy recognize the well-documented and significant carbon benefits of working forests and the products that those forests produce products that either store carbon or, or like energy fiber that displace the need for fossil fuels. I think the, the biggest challenge is an inconsistent regulatory and policy framework that's caused by a, a lack of any kind of overall energy policy. Industry won't make significant investments if the regulatory and policy framework is inconsistent and not predictable. We need predictability. Thanks, Mike and Steve. Energy policy will definitely continue to dominate the headlines locally and nationally. A final question relating back to your company's community connection. I'm not a local forester, and I imagine many of those listening today aren't as well. So to help us understand the private landowner, I want to delve into some of the local environmental concerns and related misconceptions that I've heard again and again throughout the country, especially surrounding projected renewable energy targets, harvesting, and resource use. Mike, what's your take on this? Well, there seems to be um, a belief out there that the existence of energy markets will cause deforestation and large-scale clear-cutting of forests. But we believe that biomass for energy is, as we've said earlier, that it's the lowest value product produced among a range of products. And it just doesn't make sense for landowners to cut down their growing stock just because there's a market that they can sell into. I think another way to think of the same thing is people will add on the targets that people have in various states or federal targets and add them all up and believe that somehow landowners will be compelled to harvest so that the, the government can meet those various targets. But the fact of the matter is a landowner will continue to manage their property for to keep their lands productive. Hopefully that what will happen is the existence of markets will be just the opposite. It'll provide an incentive for landowners to keep their lands productive, to improve productivity, but they'll not force a landowner to act against their own ethics or self-interest. Thanks, Mike, and that's going to have to be the last word. I'd like to thank both of you for sharing your industry perspectives as well as helping BTEC complete commitments under the work grant. Really, I appreciate your time today. Thank you okay. very much. Further information on Plum Creek can be found at www.plumcreek.com. More resources, including interviews and archived webinars on the biomass industry, are available on the BTEC website at www.biomassthermal.org. Thank you so much for listening.